My name is Stan Burkamp, and the title of my book is Loopy, the Spirit of a Cowdog. In addition to being a former Peace Corps volunteer and a farmer, Stan Burkamp has been a chemistry and physics teacher at Mays High School in Mays, Kansas for nearly 30 years. In 2005, he was honored with the National Milken Educator Award for furthering excellence in education. And in 2018, Burkamp started a solar energy project that has been saving the May School District more than $30,000 a year in energy costs. With this solar project in mind, Stan Burkamp has published the book he wrote after his father died, a book he had intended to read to his nephews and nieces so they too could learn some of the lessons his father taught him. Loopy, the Spirit of the Cowdog is a picture book for kids, but those reading or being read to aren't the only benefactors. Burkamp is giving all proceeds of the book's sales to the Mays Solar Foundation. I recently spoke with Stan Burkamp about all of this, and I took a little field trip for my own science lesson. I'm Beth Golay, this is Marginalia, and here's our conversation. Okay, so your book, Loopy, it's a picture book for kids. And just to give our listeners some background, you are a high school science teacher. I have been doing that at Mays High School since 1993. So that's almost 30 years. And yes. But you also have a history as a farmer and you're a Peace Corps volunteer. So I'm not sure if that's a typical trajectory for teaching, but... You know, you have an interesting background, so maybe we should start at the beginning. Um, I understand that Loopy was a real dog in your life. Can you, you know, talk to me a little bit about Loopy and maybe explain to us what made her so special? So everything in the story actually happened. I actually wrote this story in the middle of the outback of Australia in the summer of 1997. My father died in October of 1996. Dad was a great spirit, a great influence on me, and he was one of the reasons that I joined the Peace Corps and taught in Africa for two and a half years. I was blessed that Dad was able to share that experience with me. He was able to come over for for about three weeks in August of 1992. Dad put a tremendous influence on reading and expanding your, your world, and so he always subscribed to National Geographic. And so I grew up reading National Geographic and seeing pictures of Africa and the Serengeti Plains. And then also because of mom and dad's influence in terms of, you know, leaving the world a better place than how you found it, that was one of the reasons that I joined the Peace Corps, you know, coming from a rich tradition of giving back to the world, you know, trying to change your little corner of the world. And so the Peace Corps was a natural spin from that. And so when... I lost my dad in 96. Uh, my brother Scott, we were at a restaurant, and he goes, you need to get out of here, you know, because it, it was a long process, the, the losing of dad. And so a friend of mine that I met in Africa, Tim Buckley, he was from Australia, and he was back in Australia in Iowa Springs, and Iowa Springs is like the dead middle of the Australian outback. So summer of 97, that following summer, I packed up, went there, spent one week in New Zealand, three weeks in Australia. And I wrote the story for my nephews and nieces, my nephew Pete, okay, and Laura and Ellen, who were my brother's kids. And they were young and they never really knew dad. And so I wrote the story so that they would have a sense of dad. And and in my mind, 
they would sit there and, and I could read this book to them, you know, tell them about their grandpa because all of this happened. You know, it was all loopy and, 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 and everything took place. But I see Providence that I never got around to getting it published because, you know, life happened. I always had the book and I always had this idea. And so then out of a natural spin of this, once I started the solar project in 2018, the reason I did that was because of dad and because of his influence that he was, you know, his mantra was that, you know, we were just passing through this world and you leave the world a better place than how you found it. And so that was one of the main reasons I started the solar project. So then it just, all the pieces finally fell into place. I found Julie Gonzalez, who did a magnificent job illustrating the book. And then I had a place to take the proceeds to the book. And now I could take the proceeds and donate the proceeds of the book back to the Solar Foundation. So the story, very convoluted and spread over a long period of time, there's a natural progression that's come full cycle. So now I would like to think that dad's looking down and smiling and going, hey, this is a good story. You mentioned the Maze Solar Project, and I want to get to that later. But talk to me about Loopy and what kind of a dog she was and why it was so interesting that she was a cow dog. So it was the oddest thing. I can tell you exactly how this played out. So I was running a small open cab machine unloading hay on the farm. And Loopy looked like a normal-sized lab, but you shrunk her down, and she was about a foot tall. I was running this machine, and the dog ran up, jumped on my lap, and sat on my lap for the hour while I was unloading this. dog never moved. It just seemed like, I'm home, and this is where I need to be. I've never had a dog do that, and probably never will. And so right then it was like, this is a special dog. So at night I told him about, you know, hey, what are we going to name the dog? And dad looked down and goes, yeah, it looks like a loopy. Name it loopy. Okay. So then it became loopy. And that was just the name of it. And so then, oh, probably a couple weeks after the dog showed up, we were gathering cattle and dad had Texas Longhorns and it was a pasture right east of the house and me and dad and my brother Scott all rode out there, and Loopy had, you know, had been around horses and cattle, but never actually seen us gather them. And so, you know, we were out there and trying to gather the cattle, and a couple of the longhorns, you know, kind of broke from the herd. And even though she was a hunting dog, she acted like the best Australian heather you have ever seen in your life. She ran around them, nipped at their heels, got them back into the herd. It was just like, hey, here's this little black lab that should have no concept of how to gather cattle, but she did it like an absolute pro. And that's how she got the title of Loopy the Cow Dog. You know, I was curious when I was reading the story, Loopy is named, and so is Pete. Mm -hmm. But all of the other characters are known as like Grandpa or Pete's dad or or Pete's uncle. And even though I know you're talking about your dad and, and you and Scott, they're held a little bit at arm's length as far as the reader getting to know who they are. Mm-hmm. So, I'm, you know, talk to me a little bit about the decision to keep the focus on Pete and Loopy. Because when I wrote that, at the time I was writing that where Pete would read it. And so I basically wrote it for Pete and Laura and Ellen. So in my mind, when I was writing it, they would know who those other characters are. That's how 
that shifted in terms of making the focus of that story Pete and Loopy because I, the original version of that story when I wrote it was for Pete. That's all I was going to do. I had no intention of necessarily having the book published. I was going to have someone just make some simple sketches, and I was just going to give the book to Pete. I showed the book to other people, and they all read it, and they said, oh, my God, that's such a cool story. You should have this published. You should have it illustrated. And that's how it evolved from there. So now that this is moving beyond an audience of Pete (laughs) and Helen and Laura, what are some of the messages you want readers or or listeners, if they're being read to, what do you want them to take away from the book? Because as I read it, I, you know, I see themes about respect, you know, for family or for animals or for nature or the land. Do you have a hope for readers of the book? I look at my life and there are certain things that I just take for granted, like what a wheat field looks like, how horses interact with cattle. And as I thought about reading this book, my students, my seniors in high school cannot wait until I read this book to them because they've all said, Mr. Burkamp, when are you going to read us the book? (laughs) And they want this like story time. They want to sit on the floor. They want milk and cookies. They want me to sit in front of them and say, look, here's the story. You know, they literally, they, they, every day, when, when are you going to get the books in? When, when, when are you going to read the story? <laughs> and so what I want them to take out of that is a sense of what does happen on the farm, that there are traditions that are passed on, that it is the family farm. It's a generational thing. It's my dad. It's me and my brother, Scott. It's his son, Pete, and how those traditions get passed on. It's caring for the land. It's caring for the animals that you've been entrusted with. It's caring on a bigger scale. It's caring for the earth for which we've all been entrusted. And so it isn't just the story of a dog. It's also, I guess, one aspect of that is that people don't have to be confined. Like, here's a dog that was born as a lab, but yet became a cattle dog because it saw something and it needed to be done. You talk about your students wanting to hear you read this book, but maybe you can give us a a preview. Would you like to read a couple of pages? Oh, I think that would be amazing. I love reading my own stuff. As Pete grew older, his dad and his uncle and the rest of his family taught Pete the lessons they had learned from Grandpa when they were growing up. That way, Grandpa's memory would live on. Grandpa's most important lesson was to always make sure that the animals on the farm were taken care of. Pete was taught to give them the right amount of hay and to break ice in the winter and to make sure they had fresh water in the summer. So these are just great lessons that you learned from your dad Yes. that you're able to instill in whatever reader picks up this book. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it isn't just the animals. It's taking care of people. It's taking care of those less fortunate. It's taking care of the gifts that you've been given. It's like... Is the old adage, to whom much is given, much is expected. And if you've been entrusted with a lot, then you have a responsibility to care for that. With me, it's my students. I, I've been entrusted with 30 years' worth of kids. And I take that responsibility very seriously that, you know, I want them to not only learn the physics side of it, but it's also the humanity side of it, that You know, I've got a poster up on my room that says, if you cannot do great things, do small things in a great way. That's what I hope those kids see from the example that I set in terms of how I teach and how I interact 
and, you know, how I care about the solar project and enough to, you know, give myself to that cause. So this brings me to the Maze Solar Initiative. I bring this up because all of the proceeds of your book are going to that project. Talk to me about this effort, how and and when it began and where is it now? This sounds odd, but there's been points in my life where the path chose me. Like when I switched from engineering into teaching, when I joined the Peace Corps, and now this path has chosen me. And so I went to the May School Board in November of 2017. I said, I've never had any kids, but this is a legacy that I want to leave. I've studied enough science that we can't continue to produce electricity like we do in burning fossil fuels. So I've taught for 30 years. I've taught phenomenal kids. Let me take the chance. If I succeed, I succeed. If I fail, I fail. And they basically said, go for it. And thankfully, they didn't ask for like a timeline or a plan because <laughs> I had none. I had no I had no timeline. I, I just knew it was going to work. I just knew it was going to. And it's one of those deals, if I had thought about it too much, I would have never done it. Because if I had thought about all the ways I could have failed, I would have never started this project. But it was just a feeling that I had. I've taught so many great kids and so many families that I knew this was a cause that they would support. I was doing an interview, and one of my students happened to be in the room. The person doing the interview asked me, they said, what, what will your kids remember 10 years after they leave your classroom? So they asked me the question. But the kid fired right up and goes, here's what we will remember. We'll remember that Mr. Burkamp taught us that we could change the world, and that's what we'll remember 10 years from now. And so that's the bigger lesson that my students take from this project. So I see a picture of the solar array in your book, but I think I'd like to maybe come out and see it in person. I think that would be amazing, Beth. It's a great thing to come out and see in person. We were talking about this array in the studio, and now I'm out here. So talk to me about this. What do we have here? Okay, so this is 720 panels. And the short version of what's happening is that our local star, otherwise known as the sun, <laughs> is, is emitting little bundles of energy in the scientific world that we call photons. And it takes about eight minutes to get here, and it's striking the surface of this material. And what's happening is that it's designed so that when that energy hits it, it excites the electrons out of their normal energy level. And then it takes those excited electrons and takes a whole bunch of them and creates electricity. And then that's what flows into the school. Okay. So we generate it here. And then on the other side, there's a bank of inverters because here's a short lesson in electricity. <laughs> okay. As so, long as there's no test. No, no, no. There's no <laughs> test. So the panels generate direct current called DC. But houses run on AC. Mm -hmm. The grid runs on AC. So what the inverters do is they take it from a DC current and convert it into an AC current so that that way we can dump that electricity out onto the grid where we can use it. Wow. So without the inverters, the electricity, we couldn't use it. 
And so how long have these been installed? How long have you been creating your own? The So work? the project got started really fundraising in January 2018. We started and raised enough money to finance it by April of 2019. And we started building these, actually ironically on Earth Day oh, wow. of 2019. And then they went operational like June 6th of 2019. So basically a year and a half after we started the project, we had the system up and running. And how much money do you save a month, a year? A year, this system saves about $32,000 a year in electricity costs. Wow. And reduces carbon dioxide emissions by the, you know, we, we have an app that shows you how many tons of carbon dioxide has not been emitted because of the solar panels. Uh-huh. And it's a, it's a huge amount. Wow. And so it's kind of cool, though, when I initially proposed this, we were going to put the system up on top of one of the roofs on the gym. Uh-huh. And... I'm glad it didn't because otherwise it's cool because the kids could drive by and it was just, it's just like Kevin Costner's Field of Dreams. Uh-huh. If you build it, they will come. Uh-huh. So now they can drive by and see it and they go, hey, you know, I was a part of that system. And so it's it's pretty cool. So kid, you know, kids would come back for Christmas or something like that and go, hey, can we see the array? And so that's become the solar selfie oh, is, wow. to, is, to, is to take the solar <laughs> selfie, you know, in front of the array. So we'll have to take a solar selfie. Okay, let's Here. do it. <laughs> the solar selfie. There you go. And now Loopy is a part of this. And Loopy is a part of it, yes. But yeah, so it's 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 become so much more than 720 panels out in the field. You know, so today was today in my class was Africa Day. Okay. So I show them footage when I was in the Peace Corps in Africa. So you know, we talk about the solar project, and you know, I tell them like, had I not done that time in Africa and you know gained that self-confidence of you know being on my own for two and a half years and living in a hut that was one of the things that inspired me to do this because it was like you know you learned in the Peace Corps you can't change the world but you can change your little corner of the world I said and that's what I'm doing here and that's what I told the kids I said you have to find your passion you have to figure out how you can make a difference in the world and that's what I want you to do you have to find how you can make a difference. Wow. Well, thank you so much for showing this to me. No problem. Thank you. It was a good time. So, a little cold. Yes, let's get out. That was Stan Burkamp, author of the book, Loopy, the Spirit of a Cow Dog, which was published by Mennonite Press. Thanks for joining us for Marginalia. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review. Marginalia was produced at KMUW Wichita. Our engineers are Mark Statzer and Torin Anderson. Our editors are Luann Stevens and Haley Krausen. Our producer is Haley Krausen. And our marketing coordinator is Carly Cooper. This is Marginalia. And for KMUW, I'm Beth Volay.